Welcome to the Full Dig Series 3, Episode 4, The Temple of the Lord. My name's John Cadis. I'm here with uh, our resident theologian, uh, Dr. Bruce Johnson. Bruce, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's good to see you, John. You doing okay? I'm doing great, too. I just came back from a wonderful uh, trip to my hometown, uh, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Oh, my. How, how is Johnstown these days? What's the temperature in Johnstown? Uh, Johnstown was in the low uh, 70s, high uh, 60s. It was very beautiful there. Wow. Um, it is a town that, unfortunately, is one of the poorest cities in all of Pennsylvania. Mm. And so we do a lot of... Uh, uh, evangelism there, and we also do a lot of uh, work on rebuilding uh, a lot of the, the towns. So we call it Resurrection Johnstown, where we're helping to build uh, build houses and rebuild them, uh, rebuild uh, row houses that were most of which were built in 1925's uh, time period. And and uh, was that after the. Uh, Johnstown flood? The Johnstown flood was 1889. Okay. So. And then the second flood was 33 and then 77, which I got to live Oh, my through. goodness. So there, there was a great flood. Um, but it is, it's just a beautiful part of the country if you've ever been to Western Pennsylvania. And I have a heart for the town and a love for the people and a love to serve the Lord in that location. Uh, today we're talking, though, um, speaking of floods <laughs> um, and destruction, uh, uh, we're talking about about, uh, Jeremiah uh, seven, chapter seven, where the um, where the rather famous sermon happened, where Jeremiah is sitting outside uh, the 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 uh, temple as as instructed by the Lord, and uh, and preaching to the people who are coming in uh, a sermon that they probably don't want to hear. Yeah, it, it's beautifully written, but very harsh language in that. Yeah, and it's it also uh, uh, you know it it reminds me that uh, that there are times when it's a tough the tough job of the pastor is to preach the sermon that the congregation doesn't always want to hear. Uh, in this case, um, it, it's likely that this sermon occurred. Uh, during one of the higher holidays, whether it was a Passover. When a lot of pilgrims were on their way to Jerusalem. Right. So it was not a small audience that he was speaking to. And of course, all the high priests and religious leaders were there, in addition to all the the traditional congregates from all, all over Jerusalem and Judea. So, it so was it's a like Scottsdale audience. when the uh, big golf tournament happens, right? It could be that, or it could, it could be like the Christmas Eve service. Right? Oh, and right. They, and you know, everybody's coming, even those who are priesters who only come on Christmas and Easter uh, would be walking through the doors. And Jeremiah, can you imagine him standing out front uh, of the uh, of the temple and, and pronouncing what the Lord had told him to the folks uh, of... Uh, of Judea. Yeah, so let's get into the language of this sermon. Uh, we'll go through about the first 15 verses. I'll read uh, the beginning part of that, and, and you'll pick up after that, John. Yeah, go ahead. So this is uh, Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house, and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, 
and do not shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land that I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, We are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of the people of Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave you and your ancestors. I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. So uh, these are words, some of these words were repeated by Jesus when he cleansed the temple yes. uh, uh, on Palm Sunday or the day after. Um, is this, uh, have you made my house a den of robbers? So we know about the temple sermon because how Jesus used it. Uh, but uh, very startling words here. Um, and there's poetry, uh, a beautiful language. You, you see this tendency in Jeremiah uh, from time to time to repeat things three times. They call them the thripples of, of uh, Jeremiah or the three-peats of Jeremiah. Uh, we'd seen this um, here in chapter 7 where he says, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. In chapter 22, we have a different phrase. Jeremiah says, O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. And then in chapter 6, something we had mentioned earlier, I think, in the introductory podcast, where we have the phrase, sound the trumpet in Tekoa. Tekoa is a town, uh, but it also means trumpet. And in the original Hebrew, it is trumpet, the trumpet, and trumpet. Uh, so you see this in Jeremiah. He likes these three as part of his style. Why do you think that is? I don't know. You know, we all have our particular style. You know, you you, you know the cadence of uh, some people. Uh, Barack Obama in his speeches, he has a cadence to it. Um, or uh, Ronald Reagan had uh, humor. He used it very effectively. Mm -hmm. uh, just different styles, different speakers. And this seems to be something of Jeremiah's style. Well, I want to go through the entire text um, in some detail. But at the end of what we just read, it spoke of Shiloh. So what do you know of Shiloh? Well, I mean, initially, uh, when I read that, I, it reminded me of the Battle of Shiloh, which was the uh, uh, the uh, town in uh, uh, the United States of America where a, a famous Civil War battle happened, right? Right. Uh, but as you read through, you learn that Shiloh was the place, a very famous place, um, in which um, uh, all who had... Uh, come to the temple that day would have known about. It was a place where the tabernacle was, where the Lord's house was. And it was later destroyed by the Lord because of the unfaithfulness of the Israelites and their proclivity for sin. That's right. Uh, uh, 
the new uh, bully in the area at one point were the Philistines. The Philistines were the Phoenicians, as they're called um, in other cultures, or the Sea Peoples, as the Egyptians called them. These were the um, new people that had come to the coastal areas of the Holy Land, and they had the technology of iron making, and they had the technology of being able to use horses and chariots in battle. Mm. And the Israelites at the time had none of those things. So, you know, it, it was kind of a dicey time for the uh, Israelites. Uh, this is during the period of the judges. And so they had a plan to attack the Philistines. And so they met them with a, the outside of Eth, uh, Ebenezer, which is a town. The uh, Philistines were assembled nearby. And before the attack, the Israelites had this great idea. Let's go get the Ark of the Covenant, as in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, that Ark. And let's bring it from Shiloh, where it had been for 369 years. Said, this is so important. This battle is so important. We'll, we'll take the tabernacle or the, the um, Ark of the Covenant. It'll go before us in battle, and we will win the battle. But they did not win the battle. Not, not only that, the Philistines captured the Ark, and then we, we don't know this from the Bible, but we know this from archaeology, the Philistines went up and destroyed Shiloh. And we have an echo of that in Psalm 78, where we read, this is Psalm 78, verses 60 and 61. He abandoned the tabernacle in Shiloh, the tent he had set up among humans. He sent the Ark of his might into captivity, his splendor into the hands of the enemy. So really something they did not expect. Yeah. Um, but there's a good part of the story because what happens is the Ark goes to three of the five Philistine city-states and trouble follows the Ark wherever it goes. And we know something about the trouble that it caused because when the Philistines finally decided, we can't take it with this Ark around, so we've got to send it back. They send it back with gold hemorrhoids and gold rats. Right. <laughs> so it gives you an idea of what they were dealing with right. in uh, these different cities. So finally, they, they send it back and the Israelites are just so overjoyed. They, they, they decide, you know, we, we've messed up. We really need to return to God, uh, not just outwardly, but really mean it. And so they all assemble at, at another town, Mitzvah. And uh, the prophet Samuel comes out there to help them. They're going to dedicate themselves to God. They're going to clean up their act. And the Philistines hear that the uh, Israelite force has been assembled. And they say, well, now's our um, opportunity to destroy them once for all. But it doesn't go the way the Philistines thought. And this time the Israelites prevail. Because the Israelites at that point were right with God. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and it's interesting too, because the whole book of Jeremiah can be in some ways summarized in these verses uh, from the sermon itself, uh, where Jeremiah, as you have discussed in previous podcasts, talks about the, the warnings uh, and, 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 and in, implores to the people to repent and change their ways. And then we hear the hope that can happen uh, in Jeremiah uh, if they do, we hear the result of what happens ultimately with the Babylonians, which we'll talk about in a second. And uh, and then we also hear the prediction at the end of uh, what happens to the Babylonians uh, as, as it gets restored, similar to what happened here in Shiloh. Exactly. So it, uh, Jeremiah is telling the people, 
remember your history. Mm. Uh, and, and we have reminders, of course, uh, history of our own country or the history of you know, where, an where ancestors have come from, different traditions. And we have reminders uh, in our lives of what God has taught us. Uh, you know, he, um, I have uh, in our house these different plaques that Lori has made that are different lines from hymns, Christian hymns, and something that we see every day and remind us about the goodness of God. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is, Be Thou My Vision. We just have that up and we pass by that every day and remember, you know, I want God to be the one that gives me the vision for my life and not something of my own creation. Yeah, it's interesting that it, it was, it's been said many times, if you uh, fail to understand history, you're destined to repeat it. Exactly. And, uh, and you know, the, the world itself, not just Israel, but the world itself has a consistency about repeating the mistakes of walking away from God, falling far from God, um, uh, leaving uh, that relationship and, and going to the worldly things. And we see this, you know, in today in Europe and America and across the globe uh, that it's happening again. And, uh, and so comment on that. Tell me what you think uh, in relationship to the, these verses, um, what we should learn. Well, we need reminders in our lives. We need to uh, be quick to remind one another about what's really important in our lives. Mm -hmm. uh, I was hearing from a friend on social media that lives in Prince Edward Island, Canada, and they had a big storm come through. They've been five days without power uh, through the whole island. So they're trying to make sure they have gas for generators. And, and uh, he was rejoicing today. He found some gas for the generator. And not only that, he found coffee and bananas. So somehow the Starbucks in Prince Edward Island had found a generator and able to brew coffee. And he's thinking, boy. Uh, but he was mentioning that uh, the people in his neighborhood are okay, and they're very grateful for that. Uh, you know, sometimes crises are the things that remind us of what's really important. It brings us together. And, you know, the crisis of the Babylonians coming from the north, which is interesting because they were, they were uh, what the prediction of Jeremiah was, is they would, they would invade from the north. Uh, but the Assyrians at the time were at the north. So even there, people doubted Jeremiah's geography. Right. And, uh, you know, it was the battle uh, when Jeremiah was young between Assyria and Egypt, you know, who was going to control the in-between land, which is where the, uh, the Jewish people were. And um, the, uh, Jeremiah lives and does his ministry under five different kings. Of those five kings, two of them are put to death by foreign powers. Two of them are appointed by foreign powers. Uh, it's a really dicey time for the Jewish people. And it begins with the Assyrians. Then right around the time that Jeremiah begins his uh, ministry of, of being a prophet of God, that's when the uh, Babylonian province of Assyria breaks off and eventually becomes more powerful than Assyria. So really interesting time. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I look at the, uh, the story here and uh, what, what Jeremiah is, first starts out uh, to proclaim is that the temple is not your lucky charm. Uh, I love look, that cereal. <laughs> it, the temple is not your your place where you can go and do whatever you want to do uh, Monday through Friday, uh, 
and then on Sunday show up at church or Monday through Saturday and then Sunday it show up at church and everything will be okay. Um, he, he proclaimed um, the things that the, um, that the people of Jerusalem were and the, that were supposedly loyal to the Lord were doing. And in that context, um, you know, we have talked about this in the past, and my theology is very simple, right? There are four basic things um, that the Bible uh, teaches us, and two of them are included. That in was a marvelous summary uh, when you preached that uh, several weeks ago, by the way. Yeah, that was it was fun to do, and uh, and two of the four things are in 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 this particular sermon. One is your relationship with God. You've got two jobs on this planet, to love God and to love others. And what Jeremiah was saying is by worshiping uh, other gods, you are violating that relationship with God. And then by uh, 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 neglecting orphans, uh, by neglecting foreigners, by neglecting widows, and by uh, even doing child sacrifice, you were certainly not in the place where you were loving others. And then Jeremiah transitions into that next big theme in the Bible, which is you have a chance, though, to change that. You can surrender and serve the Lord and repent and come back into a right relationship with him. Or you can face the consequences of what happens if you oppose God and continue on your sinful ways. Yeah, it's interesting. He uses the phrase in these opening verses of chapter 7, if you get your act together, that's not the phrase he uses, it's, that's the summary. <laughs> then he says, then I will let you live in this place. And you think, okay, is he saying, I'll let you keep on coming up to worship in Jerusalem? Or is he saying, I'll let you live and you won't be deported by a conquering army? Uh, and probably means it both ways. Right, right. I mean, it's it's a good promise. And now imagine if, uh, you know, Steve talked about this in our Sunday sermon, right? He said, imagine if there was a guy just standing out in front of church as we were walking in this morning and just yelling at us and telling us the way we're doing it's wrong. We're all about the ritual. We're not about the relationship with Christ. Right. Um, we don't want those things as we're walking to worship. We want them in the sermon later on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And we we could we probably could have drama, drama, uh, created a drama uh, around doing that in the sermon. But Steve did a great job. He pointed out that there were three basic things that bring us to uh, uh, to that right relationship as uh, as members of Mountain View Presbyterian Church, and that is to to first acknowledge that we're sorry. We're sorry for the the sins that we've committed throughout that week. Uh, then the second is to ha ask for help. Help me to change, Lord. Send that Holy Spirit because we can't do it all on our own. Right. And uh, and then the third is thank you, Lord. Just be grateful in those times in which God shows up in our lives to right our paths and build that that awesome relationship that we have with Him and His Son Jesus Christ. Yeah. So three central prayers that help us reorient our lives in the right way. Uh, the three attitudes of the heart and mind and imagination that are very helpful. Yeah. So uh, uh, one more thing about the story of Ebenezer. Yes. So Ebenezer was, uh, the town was where uh, they had a defeat as a people. But after the victory at Mitzvah, after they had rededicated their lives to God, to really saying, God, we're sorry, we, we need we need you, we want to come back to you in, in spirit and truth. Then the prophet Samuel lifted up a stone because Ebenezer means stone of help. 
And so he lifts up a stone and he says, we're going to remember what God has done. God turned uh, defeat into something of victory and security. Uh, and we'll remember that and we'll remember the Lord. Yeah. And that's why we have in the uh, hymn, um, Here I Raise My Ebenezer, Hither by Thy Help I've Come. It refers back to the story that the God we worship is a turnaround God. We can say we're sorry to God and God forgives us and that's we can the, start over again. That's the hymn, Come Thou, Font of Every Blessing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fabulous. Well, it's interesting because Jeremiah, this is a, this Jeremiah 7 is a one-stop shopping center for all things Je Jeremiah and judgment. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's a shame that when we hear these warnings, we don't heed heed to them because history tells us that uh, if we do heed to them, uh, we are able to um, to grow in relationship with God and have a life of of uh, that is not not uh, not challenge free, not problem free, but one where we know the source of of both life on this planet and everlasting life. And uh, and it's 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 incredible how that history is there. Take us through a little bit the archaeology of the time and and some of the. The things that you have discovered through your studies um, over time about this period with Jeremiah. So uh, let's talk about a little bit about the topography of Jerusalem. Uh, imagine that you have a pitchfork or a dessert fork that has three prongs, and you're holding that in your hand. Yeah, got that image in your hand. So the three prongs are are facing up, and you're holding on to the handle, which is down. So that's a description of the topography of Jerusalem. It has three valleys uh, that all eventually merge and they go south. So the prongs are facing north. And uh, to the right of the three prongs is the Mount of Olives. And in between the pr central prong and the right-hand prong is the oldest part of the city. And at the top of that would be the Temple Mount area. And the prong that is on the left that is uh, the valley that's called the Hinnom Valley. You have uh, from left to right or from west to east, the Hinnom Valley, the Central Valley is sometimes called the Tyropean Valley, and the Kidron Valley, which is every, all of the other valleys eventually merged to that. Now, the Hinnom Valley was kind of where they dumped all their garbage in the city. And in the New Testament times, of course, Jesus uses the burning in the Hinnom Valley the Gehenna, as an image for the everlasting flames for those who are damned for all eternity. And uh, Jesus used that to great effect in his preaching in the holy city. But there's another thing that happened in the Hinnom Valley in Jeremiah's time that was just horrible. There was actually child sacrifice where children were being burned to uh, appease uh, other gods and, and goddesses. Uh, and, and Jeremiah begins to talk about that in the beginning of verse 30. Do you want to read that portion of Jeremiah 7 for us, John? Uh, sure. Let me uh, get to... Uh, here we go. Uh, the people of Judea have done evil in my eyes, declares the Lord. They have set up their detestable idols in the house that bears my name and have defiled it. They have built the high places of Tophiath 
in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, something I did not command, nor did it enter my mind. So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call it Topiath or the valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, for they will bury their dead in Tonopath until there is no more room. Then the carcasses of the people will become food for the birds and the wild animals, and there will be no one to frighten them away. I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness and to the voices of the bride and bridegroom in the towns of Judea and the streets of Jerusalem, for the land will become desolate. So that strange word, tofet or tofet, sometimes it's called, is now used by archaeologists to describe places where there were cemeteries filled with the bones of children. And uh, particularly what we find in the Carthaginian cities, you would have these um, cemeteries that have entirely the uh, remains of children. And the thought is in that context in Carthaginia, that those were children that were offered up in human sacrifice. Oh, and terrible. it's terrible. And uh, that's what's being described here, that in the Valley of Hinnom, children were being offered as sacrifices to these pagan gods. So Jeremiah says, well, that will come to an end. And not only that, but we will desecrate the Valley of Hinnom and it'll be a burial site. And that's something that we see being fulfilled in the time of Jeremiah's own life. Uh, this is probably his temple sermon, something that he delivers during the reign of the first of those five kings uh, he sees uh, in the capital city of Jerusalem. This would be the King Josiah. King Josiah again has his religious reform in the 18th year of his reign. Jeremiah begins his prophecy in the 13th year of his reign. Um, and if you go to the Hinnom Valley now, there are lots and lots of tombs that are, you can see there. The necropolis or the cemetery of Jerusalem is unusual for an ancient city because it's not just in a certain section. If you go to Cairo, to the necropolis in Cairo, it's in a certain section of the city. But the ancient city of Jerusalem, the necropolis entirely surrounds the city, including um, burials that were done in biblical times, in Jeremiah's own time, in the Valley of Hinnom. And not all the time, but uh, very often in these rock-hewn tombs in the Hinnom Valley, you see these little depressions that are in the shape of a human head. So it's like you'd lay them on the, on the shelf and they don't have a pillow, but they have a little niche there for your beloved's head to be right there, which is uh, kind of unusual. Yeah, pretty disgusting. The, uh, um, if you go to uh, the island where my family came from in Greece and Chios, um, they were uh, invaded by the uh, Ottoman Empire. And uh, all but 2,000 of the citizens of that island were murdered in that inv invasion. And so they took the skulls of, of every uh, innocent person and, uh, and put them in the, inside the church uh, in, uh, at the top of the mountain so that when you walk in the church now, you see the 
the the bones and the and the skulls of all of the individuals who were sacrificed um, uh, improperly uh, by that inv invasion. My um, goodness, hundreds of years ago, and in the same way here. I mean, you have this this horrific events that that occurred in this place um, uh, in the name of child sacrifice and and uh, things of that nature that were just that the Lord will never condone and and will always reject. Now again, uh, child sacrifice comes to an end. The worship of uh, other uh, foreign gods and goddesses comes to the end when Jerusalem is destroyed in 586 BC by the Babylonians. The prophecy of Jeremiah comes true. And that's the horror that finally shocks the people enough that they turn away from false gods and goddesses once and for all. So a terrible price they paid for doing um, being involved in these terrible things. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of good news in uh, Jeremiah uh, until we get to the midst of Jeremiah. When you get to those podcasts about a, he'll open a future, that's when the good news starts. Yeah, uh, there is good news. So this is this is the tough part right yeah, here. This yeah, is the tough medicine. It. So, yeah. and now you you wanted to uh, discuss too the, the eco essential tenets as it relates to all of this. Right. Uh, so the, in eco, we have a document, the essential tenets, which uh, we have all pastors and. Elders and deacons agree to abide by these. These are a summary of teaching the Bible, summary of uh, Reformed theology on a number of different things. And I thought it'd be interesting to look at the portion of the essential tenets that talks about our election, our being chosen by God for both salvation and service. And I think that ties in with the themes that uh, Jeremiah was lifting up it's not just returning to true worship of God, but also treating other people well. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, why don't I read one of the paragraphs and you can read another and I'll go back and forth like that. That'd be great. The call of God to the individual Christian is not merely an invitation that each person may accept or reject by his or her own free will. Having lost true freedom of will in the fall, we are incapable of turning towards God of our own volition. God chooses us for himself in grace before the foundation of the world, not because of any merit on our part, but only because of his love and mercy. Each of us is chosen in Christ, who is eternally appointed to be the head of the body of the elect, our brother and our high priest. He is the one who is bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, our divine helper, who is also our bridegroom, sharing our human natures so that we may see his glory. We who receive him and believe in his name do so not by our own will or wisdom, but because his glory compels us irresistibly to turn towards him. By his enticing call on our lives, Jesus enlightens our minds, softens our hearts, and renews our will, restoring the freedom that we lost in the fall. Praise God. And the essential tenet uh, continue with, we are all sinners who fall short of God's glory, and we all deserve God's eternal judgment. Apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ, we are incapable of being in God's presence and capable of bearing the weight of his glory. We rejoice that Jesus Christ offers us safe conduct into the heart of God's consuming, purifying fire, shielding us with his perfect humanity and transforming us by his divine power. 
having received such grace, we extend grace to others. And that's the real turn here in this section of the essential tenets. It, we are saved by grace, but it's not just for us to say, oh, yippee, we're saved. Okay, <sighs> glad that's over. No, but something has to come out of that. Uh, uh, Jesus used the example of uh, a good tree bears good fruit. You know, if God has done something good in our lives, there should be fruit out of that that we begin to see. Right. So we have that salvation, but it, but you, but it's uh, as Jeremiah talks about in his sermon, you can't just then idolize and take and then start. Uh, living a life different from that salvation. What it means to be in that relationship with Christ and to have that salvation is that you start following him and doing his will. And his will is all about loving others and serving others and, uh, and, uh, and rejecting sin. Exactly. So the central tenets continues. We are not elect for our own benefit alone. God gathers his covenant community to be an instrument of his saving purpose. Through his regenerating and sanctifying work, the Holy Spirit grants us faith and enables holiness so that we may be witnesses of God's gracious presence to those who are lost. The Spirit gathers us in a community that is built up and equipped to be light, salt, and yeast in the world. Christ sends us into the world to make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything Christ has commanded us. We are now in service to God's plan for the fullness of time, uniting all things in heaven and earth to himself. To this end, we preach Christ, calling all persons to repent and believe the gospel. We also care for the natural world, playing all areas of culture in the name of Jesus, serve the poor, feed the hungry, visit the prisoner, and defend the helpless. We do this work not with any thought that we are able to bring in the kingdom, but in the confident hope that God's kingdom is surely coming, the day when suffering and death will pass away, and when God will live among his people. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's also a reminder to us that as Presbyterians, especially, we get comfortable in the ritual of our services uh, and the routines of uh, of how uh, how we worship the Lord on a Sunday morning. But there's so much more to it than that. And that's where these essential tenets remind us of all that we are to do to serve humanity and to serve others. Um, as Christians, Amen. And and, uh, and it's awesome that uh, it's awesome that we have this guide uh, for us. I have a quote from uh, uh, from Hill and Walton. And like. explain who Hill and Walton. Hill and Walton are the authors of a book called uh, "The Survey of the Old Testament." You know, when I was in college, there was no good survey of the Old Testament. There just wasn't. Well, and this this is a massive uh, publication that uh, speaks of Jeremiah, but speaks of God's presence in Jeremiah's temple sermon. And it says, Jeremiah makes it clear that his temple sermon, that the presence of God is not to be considered a good luck charm or protection, independent of the covenant adherence. It's so important for us to keep our covenant with God as he always keeps it with us. God delights to live among his people, but he does not need a place of residence. The new covenant anticipates a future advance 
in the covenant as it envisions the presence of God in his people. All of this is in preparation for the loss of God's presence and the destruction of the temple at the end of the book. But they, as Hilton Walton later say in the book, it is through that, that new covenant, that relationship with Jesus Christ, that we are redeemed ultimately, and that is the good news of the New Testament. But you are famous for uh, quoting from C.S. Lewis. Uh, so I have been told, yes. And, and uh, So do you have a C.S. Lewis quote for I us? I do have a C.S. Lewis quote, and this is from The Problem of Pain, where Lewis is talking about the fact that all of us will eventually do God's will, either willingly or unwillingly. <laughs> so uh, he's talking about how we, we suffer a lot of the suffering that we have in the world is because people are mean to one another, you know, and, and uh, sometimes we get crotchety and we're mean to folks and we have to apologize. Sometimes people get very crotchety and they don't ever apologize. You know, that's, that's what we're dealing with and that's part of the reason why the, the world is a tough place. I like your point too and I'll let you go uh, into his quotes, but um, your point is that the truth is the truth regardless of whether you believe or not, right? God will. God is there and God lives and we all will become followers of, of God or recognizing what it means not to follow him if we don't. And, uh, and that's a really, important, uh, a really important point. Exactly. So Lewis gives the example of two people, one the uh, merciful person and the other person who is a cruel person. So he writes, A merciful man aims at his neighbor's good, and so does God's will, consciously cooperating with the simple good, uh, a good that's just good without any qualifications. A cruel man oppresses his neighbor, and so does simple evil. Yet you know it's wrong when you think about it. But in doing such evil, he is used by God without his own knowledge or consent to produce complex good. That's good that is not just, doesn't start out good, but God ultimately turns things around and uses it in a good ways. So that the first man, that was the merciful man, serves God as a son, and the second as a tool. Or you will certainly carry out God's purpose, however you act. But it makes a difference whether you serve like Judas or like John. Right, and you would rather be the, the Apostle John than to be Judas in the story. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, that is fabulous. Um, C.S. Lewis uh, is so insightful. Uh, you've done a lot of work in that, in that space and, in fact, authored a book uh, uh, that uh, brings together all of C.S. Lewis's writings. Is that right? Yeah, the, uh, the book is The Undiscovered C.S. Lewis. It's a tribute volume to a friend of ours that uh, died a few years ago. But, uh, yeah, it, it's all about how uh, there's still new things to know uh, from Lewis and the wisdom that he left us with in his writings. And we know that even in Jeremiah, in this moment of great despair and future um, challenges for, um, for uh, Judea and Israel, that, that there, is, there is hope in a future, that uh, it, all, it all eventually points um, to a time when um, God comes to man in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. And redeems all of us, and stands in our, and stands in the place of all of our sin, and and takes on all of that pain, and takes on all of that sin, and atones for that sin uh, on our behalf. And uh, whether you whether you read through these things, and you think um, 
and you lament, if you will, uh, about the the challenges that will, that will be happening um, to Israel and to Judea, um, you can know that the good news, that the story always ends in a positive way if we'd only believe and uh, have exactly. that relationship with Christ. Yeah, uh, and God still reaches out to men and women and boys and girls and saying, come home, mm -hmm. come back. That's yeah. fabulous. Will you, uh, do you want to close us in prayer? I'd love to. Let's pray. Great God, you are the turnaround God. You are the one who is calling us home to you, home to where we have always desired to be, whether we've known that or not. Lord, we pray that you would help us to not put our trust in empty things, but to take delight in you and put our trust in you and to have our hope renewed every morning by you. Lord God, make us more fully yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, John. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having me.